Welcome. This is Corinne Modokaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet. As we're winding down the year and we have a new year to look upon, there's all this goal setting, there's all these you know, dream bigs, planners, and maybe you're also feeling disappointed. Maybe 2021 wasn't the year that you had wanted. I'm going to walk you through a really important concept that I use all the time, and it's a framework to help you get the results that you want and then overcome the obstacles that may get in the way. So I'm going to talk about this, and basically we're going to go through avoidance of what we want because we often don't want to feel disappointed. We're going to talk about committing to the best case scenario, committing, not having the fallback plan, but committing. And one of the most important elements to committing to the best case scenario is managing risk, which is very different than dress rehearsing tragedy. All right. Are you ready? I hope you have pen and paper. Sit down. You can circle back, listen to it this time, and then circle back and listen again. That's the spiral learning and write this stuff down. So I'm going to start out by asking you a really difficult question and you're not going to want to answer it. You're going to be like, Corinne, but I'm walking or I'm working out, or I'm in the car. I get it. Remember the circle back and you can listen again. Give yourself permission to ask this difficult question and give yourself permission. It doesn't have to be all perfect and finalized. We just want to get something out because you're not going to want to answer it because it's really vulnerable. You're going to have plenty of excuses not enough time. You know, you don't want to do something you're like, oh, I just want to be passive in listening to this podcast. I get it. But it's not the passivity that creates the results that we want that allows us to live the life that we want. So you can do this in your brain. If you have a pen and paper and notebook, jot it down. It doesn't have to be perfect. And this is, as Anne Lamont says, your shitty first draft right? My only invitation is if you use a lot of post-it notes, (laughs) then it's like, how do you organize it? So if you do have a notebook, that's fantastic. If you have a post-it note, then eventually stick it into a notebook. And I also invite you to put the date on it because whenever I'm looking at something, I'm like, huh, when did I write this? So I've learned to put the date on it. So the other thing you'll say is, oh, I'll just do this later. That's fine. Make a commitment right now when you're going to come back to this, if you're going to listen to it round two, circle back. Okay. It's a short podcast. You have plenty of time to circle back and what nuggets can you gather the second time? There's so much value in that. And we're so into consuming and consuming and consuming that we think it's one and done. And really high performers, one of the things that they do is they circle back and they go back to the information and they go back to the books and they go back to the autos and they're listening and learning and thinking and allowing that space to think so then they can plan and execute. I realize that this is vulnerable. And so we're acknowledging that here right now. And it may trigger a whole bunch of disbelief inside of you. 
That's fantastic. Let it out. Declutter it. We do this stuff work in the mindset practice. Get it out of you instead of letting it sit in your brain and create the obstacle that gets in the way. Now, some of you may be really Pollyannish and get into that fairy tale excitement. And maybe you're like, oh, but I've done this before and nothing happened. So just notice what end of the spectrum you're on. And I'm going to talk about what you need to build in order to create the best case scenarios. So now that we've gotten all those obstacles, we've identified them, we've seen them, we've talked about them. We're not pretending they're not there because of course they're there. The question for you to answer right now is, what do you really, really want? And here's the framework. I think of life in different arenas, just like you may have kids who are on a soccer team and a baseball team and a softball team and a swim team, and you have those arenas of people, coaches, parents, teammates, friends, you have these different arenas. So I think of life as arenas and there's the work arena, which many of us spend time in, and it can be work that you get paid for, and it can be non-paid for work. It's about what do you spend a great deal of time doing, whether it's getting paid or there's a cause that you're involved with? The other arena is relationships. This could be family. This could be friends. This could be a spouse, a partner, or wanting to have a partner. It could be kids. So what does that arena look like for you? And then the other arena is self. And not that self should be the last arena, but we have a lot of resistance, especially as women have been taught that we are supposed to put ourselves last. So I'm putting it in here. All three arenas are important. And as I walk you through today's concept, my invitation is for you to pick one arena so you can mentally apply it to your life. And then you can use this framework with the other arenas. So meaningful work, a loving, connected relationship, and time for yourself. Those are our three arenas. My invitation for you is to get clarity on what you want. This does not mean a 13-page, carefully crafted bullet plan of what you're going to do or a PowerPoint presentation, right? Clarity on what you want doesn't have to take a whole lot of time because it's probably been rumbling inside of you. And only when we have the burden of perfection on ourselves, does it take way longer? You know it's right inside of you. Probably about 20 years ago, I wanted a different life than I was living. I, As I've often talked about here, I felt like I was settling. It was as good as it gets. On the outside, I climbed this very tall ladder that was successful, that was very coveted in what I was doing. Lots of other people would have loved to have this opportunity. It was a very difficult opportunity to come by, but I didn't really want it. And then I had all the shame that this is what I should have. And then I realized I had the golden handcuffs because I had something that so many people wanted. And there were elements of what I wanted. There was security. There was financial security. I was tenured, so I couldn't get fired. I knew how much I was going to make for the rest of my life. So I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to apply. It was a calm experience in that way, but it wasn't what I wanted. And I would rumble and I would, I would have these kind of dreams that I would shut down. And 
when it came down to it, I had three things. I wanted to get paid for talking. I was like, oh, wouldn't that be fantastic? I wanted to run a swim team with my husband, but I was like, that's not possible. There's already a swim team in town and there aren't any pools. (laughs) And I wanted my commute, even though my commute was 12 miles, so it wasn't so bad. It was well, a few towns over. I wanted to be able to walk down the hallway to my office to work. I didn't believe any of those three things were possible. Pay me to talk? What are you talking about? I was a swim coach, water polo coach, a health professor, and a PE instructor. That's what I did. I mean, I guess technically I got paid to talk, especially when I was in the podium classes. But paid to talk, I mean, my dreams wouldn't even let me dream is what I have today. Running a swim team with my husband, again, that was not something that I thought could happen, you know, and I was like, God, how could I ever be so lucky to be able to work from home? It's one of my favorite things still. And it was something that I didn't think was possible. So I'm not saying when you commit to the best case scenario that you have to even believe that it's possible because there's going to be probably a lot of resistance and we have a lot of cultural programming of that's not possible. For those of you that are further along than me and you're like, oh no, I totally believe it. Awesome. (laughs) So we have a range check in. There's not a right or wrong. I do this work with clients all the time. Another obstacle that happens often is we may not value that voice inside of ourselves because it comes so easy. It's like, well, how could I know? And how do I do it? And never go to asking the question of how, figure out the why. Why? How is a dream stopper? Figure out the why. And it may seem unrealistic and that's okay because I'm going to talk about how do we manage that aspect. And then the other thing I know for me and so often for my clients, athletes that I work with is we're afraid that if we do it and go after it, we will fail. And the fear of failure is so real that we just would rather off ramp because it's so vulnerable, right? But here we are practicing small steps of vulnerability. And then the other thing is not wanting to be disappointed, right? But the problem with this is that when you don't pursue your dreams, when you don't go after what it is that you really desire, you're living in disappointment. It's low grade disappointment, but you're living in it. And so I want you to think about when we go after and we do something and then we come out of it, even when we are you know, heartbroken or upset, we're able to move through it because now we have information, we have clarity. And the other thing is you may see other windows of possibility that you didn't even know existed because you couldn't see it from where you were at that point. So that's why it's really important to pursue your goals because it starts to open up other possibilities that you couldn't have seen because you weren't either in motion, you were stagnant, you were staying there, maybe you're hiding away, numbing with television. And so you didn't even know because you were at home. So here's the thing. One day I picked up my head and I realized all of a sudden I had created exactly what I wanted. It's exactly what I desired as a podcaster, speaker, life leadership coach, right? I'm running a swim team with my husband, the Aqua Monsters, which I often talk about here. And I walk down the hall to my office 
and I'm about to start to do some small amounts of travel. I have a trip lined up for 2021, and then I've already started booking trips for 2022. Everything can be canceled (laughs) because of everything that's going on. So when you get clarity on what you want, keep it really simple. Wasn't this long plan? I had these three dreams. They were really simple. And then I created those. The other thing is get clarity on the obstacles. We don't want to attach to them, but I already talked about that. We started with the obstacles. Like, of course, there are obstacles. So often we have this misconception that if we want something, oh, it's going to be easy and it's going to be in this flow. And if we, if it isn't, we're doing it wrong. This is a sign from the universe that we're doing it wrong. There's obstacles, right? And it's about how do we overcome them to get to what we want. So knowing what the obstacles are and knowing what the obstacles are that are internal because of our own, you know, shame or vulnerability or our own fear and what are really truly obstacles and figuring out what the solution is. Then the next thing is we commit to the best case scenario. And I mean, commit where you're like, okay, I'm committing. (laughs) I'm absolutely committing. And a long time ago, I'd interviewed Peter Walsh, who had been on the Oprah show a whole bunch. He was a contributor for O Magazine. He had a show on the own network when it originally launched and he's all about clutter. And I was trying to figure out how somebody from Australia who grew up, he was a child of, I think, seven kids, or he was a, one of seven children. His parents, I think, had an eighth grade education. And how does somebody go from there to being on the Oprah platform? And one of the things that he said is he committed. When he committed, he committed, he absolutely committed for six months, and then he reevaluated. And I was like, okay. So when I was first starting my business, I'm like, I'm going to commit for six months. And all this disbelief came up. And then I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it for three months. And finally, I had to just commit for the day, right? Because that's what I could sustain, commit to it. I was coaching a client earlier this week, and she said, but Corinne, I've always had a fallback plan. Her fallback plan gets in the way of committing to the best case scenario. Because what she's doing is, will this job work for me? Will this work for me? Maybe I'm in the wrong job. Instead of committing to the best case scenario and fully showing up, she's already has one foot out the door. This is why committing to the best case scenario is so important. Commit, figure out the timeline you're going to commit for. Peter Walsh talked about six months. When I was first a newbie at this, I could do it for a day. I built it up to a week. Then I did it for a month and now I commit for a year, right? So don't judge yourself for your capacity for commitment. Commit, make a decision and commit to it without having one foot out the door, fully commit to it, go all in. So now when you're committing to the best case scenario, instead of having one foot out, looking for other opportunities, questioning yourself, spending all of this brain juice and energy and emotions, looking for maybe something better or having a pity party for yourself. When you commit, what you can do is create systems to support the, your scenario. And remember, this is within the context of this isn't a fairy tale ending or magic from your fairy godmother, but truly committing to the best case scenario. 
focus on what you want and create systems to support what you're going after. And these systems are, what are the practices? What are the habits? So what are the things that you can do on a daily basis that you need to do to create this best case scenario? Who are the people that you want to surround yourself with? Maybe they're going to help you when your brain has all this mind trash in it and you need to verbally vomit too, right? That's one of the things that I do with a lot of my clients is that I help them stay focused on commitments to the best case scenario. And that's where it becomes really cool because as we've gone into quarter four this year, my clients' minds have been blown. So like, oh my gosh, I've created these results, whether it's the jobs that they wanted, the income that they wanted, doing the work that they wanted, the relationships, right? Those three arenas or having their own back, which is huge because who you are is how you show up in all of your arenas. So when they've committed to the best case scenario, and they had support, that's where the transformation happened and it happened over time. The other aspect is what is the physical structure that you need? Some people maybe need the ability to go into an office space. That's what they need. Even though I work from home, I have an office space that is directly tied to my business and I show up in here in this structure. When I come into here, it is game on. My brain goes, oh, time to work. And then when I exit it, it's like time to relax. So what's the physical structure that you need? And then this is really important. What boundaries do you need in place to create the results that you want? This is all a shitty first draft, people. (laughs) Right? You're going to be like, oh my gosh, I need to spend. No, you don't need to spend a whole lot. Start working on it. It's a work in progress. Google Docs is great because you can go back and add to it over time. But what boundaries? Maybe it is, you know, a bit of quiet time or maybe it is time for yourself. You have to figure that part out so that you know what do you need in place to create the results that you want. If you can figure out one, that's enough to get started. And it may be that you need to block out 30 minutes, three times a week for yourself to think and to journal. Maybe it's about doing your mindset practice. Maybe it's about reading and learning. What are the boundaries you need to create to support the habits that you want to support the practices that you want? Okay. So commit, 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 commit to the best case scenario. You're going to figure it out along the way. One of the things when we get a kid and I use this all the time with the Aquamonsters, we get a new kid on the team and I'm committed to the kids learning to get better, to grow, to get faster, to really thrive. And that first lap that they're in the pool, they're not allowed to drown, right? So we're committing, they're going to get across the pool. I'm not quite sure how it's going to work because every kid is a bit different. There's patterns, but we're committed to it. And I have enough tools that I pull them out. Now the drowning part is the other aspect. That's the managing risk. Kids aren't allowed to drown, right? That wouldn't be good for business. So on the first day of a session, especially pre-COVID, and now we're getting back to it, I will have coaches in the water because the information I get from parents, it can really vary. I've had parents say, oh, my kid's an excellent swimmer and they can't make it across the water. And I've had parents say, oh, my kid can't swim. And 
they swim with quite ease. Maybe there's a few things that we need to work on, but they can swim with ease. So we evaluate on that first day. I would rather manage risk by bringing more staff, paying employees more to come in and having our payroll go up than have somebody drown. So figure out what your risk that you need to manage is that is just not allowed to have happen. Maybe your risk is, uh, this was another risk for me, is leaving a safe, secure job. It was, you know, I didn't want to bankrupt my family or lose our home. And that was really, really important to me. So how do you manage risk? So for me, that meant having savings before I left. What is the risk that you have and that you need to manage? So when I first started the podcast, which was radio show that I think within the second episode or so became a podcast. I didn't know anything about podcasting or radio. I didn't really like talk radio. (laughs) I just had a problem I really needed to solve. How to do it as a mother (laughs) with four kids. Isn't that ironic? Earlier I said, don't ask the question how, and my show's name is how she really does it. I just thought of that. (laughs) Oh, that's okay. Lots of deep learning in 15 years. So I didn't know anything about podcasting or radio. And I had this fear of what if nobody listens? And I'm like, okay, what if nobody listens? But my problem was so big inside of me that really I was doing the show for me. And I thought if it was going to benefit me, it was probably going to benefit others. That assumption turned out well, right? And then the other one was, what if there's dead air? I was actually probably more afraid of that because that would be something I'd be aware of versus no one listening in that moment. What if there was dead air? And I was like, oh my gosh. And when I first started this show, it was live 30 minutes on the air. Now my show ranges anywhere from 10 minutes to an hour, depending on if I'm doing by myself, if it's a mini soda deep dive like today, or if I have guests on. But back then I was so, so afraid of that, like dead air and how I stacked my guests, especially my first guest was I thought about people who had a lot to say so that they would fill the dead air space. That is how I manage the risk. The other way I manage risk, and I remember one of my favorite Wall Street Journal columnists who came on my show in the first, I don't know, three months. And I was so excited to talk to him because I'd been reading his stuff for decades. And the first thing he said before we got on air was, Corinne, you know, four pages of questions, we're not going to get through them all (laughs) because I'd sent them to him ahead of time. And I said, oh yes, I know that. (laughs) I just want to make sure that we have plenty of questions in case there's dead air. (laughs) So those are two ways that I managed risk. Now there's also the risk of not taking action. And that is, I think, the most painful risk of all, because you're not honoring what's inside of you. And there's something inside of you that you want that you're not allowing yourself to pursue because we're afraid of being disappointed. However, you're living with disappointment right now. There's also the risk of taking action. And you may not get what you want when you take action. And yes, you will feel disappointed What I know for sure is you will actually be able to, because you've gotten the data, 
you can unpack it, especially if you have somebody with you, you know, somebody who's in your support seats that can help you have perspective and have compassion and empathy and look at what can you learn from this? Because oftentimes not getting what you want isn't a failure or it isn't a dead end. It's an opportunity to have key learnings to actually create what you want. But we are so afraid of failing. We think that's the only way. I saw Mark Duplass's Instagram last night. It was a great thing. Mark Duplass is on the morning show and he's a writer and he's an actor and I'm probably not doing him justice, but he wrote something on Instagram in a story of if your movie didn't get accepted into Sundance, don't give up. It's not the only way to get your film out to the world. And I think about that when you may take the risk of taking action and not getting the best case scenario, you're not done. I had a client a couple years ago whose goal was to make a certain amount of money. Things in the economy went left and right. And it took a couple years, but looking at her best case scenario, she's on the path and she's going to hit it this year and she'll probably blow it out of the park next year. But it took a couple of years. This is actually a common scenario. I've seen clients in jobs that they wound up either walking away from or let go of, and they really wanted to do this work. And then inadvertently, a couple years later, this job, this leadership position came along and they were able to do it. There's an, I've been thinking of two different people right now with those same scenarios. So you can commit to the best case scenario. Sometimes the timeline is different than when you think it's going to look like. So there's the risk of not taking action and there's the risk of taking action, right? Manage that risk because to live with disappointment day in and day out, I think about the Leo Toystol book, I think that's how you say his name. And it was something that when I was not taking action, cause I was so afraid of, is this really possible for the loser from like me to be able to have what I want? Maybe my life is as good as it gets. I read his book, I think it was Anna Karenina, and somebody was dying. And in the end it was, do you want to die with the music left inside of you? And I'm like, oh no, I don't want to die with the music inside of me. And I'm so glad I took the risk and am here today. I'm so grateful that I did what I did. So One of the things about managing risk, it's different than dress rehearsing tragedy. And I want to get clarity on that. You're looking at what are the risk opportunities, right? When I'm looking at what's the worst thing that can happen at a swim practice is a kid drowning. That's really a horrible thing. So how do we manage that so that doesn't happen? I don't need to walk in focusing and worrying about, oh no, this could happen and what would happen. And then I get sued and a kid would be dead and on and on and on. That's stress rehearsing tragedy. And that's rooted in shame and fear. And all that does is create a sinking feeling where I want to quit. Managing risk is putting what the risks are so that you can problem solve and have a net so that those things don't happen or you can reduce the chances. When you are dress rehearsing tragedy, and again, you're feeling shame or fear. I said, I want to run away. I want to shut down. I want to quit. Notice when you are feeling one of those emotions of shame or fear, anxiety, what do you do? Do you hide? Do you give up? 
not get started, then who do you become and how does that person conflict with committing to the best case scenario? So this framework I gave you today of commit to the best case scenario and manage risk allows you to pursue what you desire, but without blowing up your life. It's time for you to take up space in your life and truly create the life you desire. You don't have to do it perfectly. You will learn, you will fall down, you'll get back up and continue on. Sometimes you may need to take a break. That's okay. You don't have to immediately continue on. Your journey may be filled with pivots and you will definitely have lots of key learnings. How you have those key learnings is the ability to be compassionate with yourself and to really look at it. And my hope for you is you have a strong support team. It can be a friend. It can be a partner. It can be a coach, but really have a support team because we just don't do it alone. The older I get, the more important I realize that support team is. I mean, think about it. Athletes have coaches. They're on a team. It's a lot easier to win championships when you're doing it with others than to go and do it alone. One key learning is not that you are unworthy, but you are already worthy as you strive to live the life you desire. So go after it. It's much, much better to try and fail than to never try at all. And the truth is, when you try, you land in some place further along. It's so worth it. I'm smiling big for you. Now, before you go, I have some news to share. In 2022, we're going to be offering Enough, the group coaching program where we cultivate worthiness, belonging, and connection. And if that sounds like a place you want to be in 2022, go check out Enough. This group coaching program is where we take all the tools and practices that I talk about on how she really does it. And we apply it in our real life and you'll have support and accountability. No more having to remember to come back and do it there's going to be structure to support you. We will integrate these tools into your life so that by the end of our time together, you actually live them in your bones. It's not just something you think about doing. It's not something that you just read in a book or you'll eventually read in a book. (laughs) It's not something that one day you'll do. It's now. And the delightful bonus for you We're going to have a safe community with others for you to connect and thrive and belong so you can practice living your life from enough deep inside of you. Go check it out at howshereallydoesit.com forward slash enough. That's howshereallydoesit.com forward slash enough. We are currently accepting applications and we'll be reviewing them in January. I'd love to have you join us in enough. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so. Long.